Good evening. Welcome to the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. Enter freely and of your own will. In this episode, you may find many strange things, for the films to be discussed are old, and they have many memories. So, be there. Be there. Welcome back, everybody. We're glad to have you on the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast for this episode. It's a, it's a kind of. I know I always say they're special, but this one is special to me. I've I have loved this movie from the first time I saw it. It's not like I gained a new appreciation for it as I got older. Uh, I I loved it when I saw it as when I was as a younger guy, and I, I still adore it to this day. This is uh, RKO Radio Pictures' presentation of Son of Kong from 1933, released just nine months after King Kong, uh, its predecessor. So this movie was how do we? Oh, and and I'll I'll throw this to my co-host Livio right now. Um, hey. hey. I we, I guess we could say they 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 churned this one out. I guess yeah, but they did. I, but for a movie that was churned out, this movie's great. Oh yeah, it's it's I mean, fantastic. And yeah. yeah, I'm kind of the the opposite of you. Um, and I'm a little ashamed to admit this, but I have not ever seen this until two weeks ago when, so when I watched it. <laughs> there we go. It was yeah. completely new to me. It, it's kind of it's sort of a best kept secret. It's um. I think in a lot of circles, for for one reason or another, it's not taken very seriously because it is a it's a more lighthearted version of the first film. Obviously, it's it's funnier. It's uh, its goals are not quite the same, and, and at the same time, it has some real human story and tragedy and loss and character and and a very poignant ending. So you know, whatever to those people, this movie rules. Uh, um, Son of Kong, in which a beleaguered Carl Denham flees an onslaught of lawsuits in New York, and with the help of a young performer woman uh, of questionable talent, <laughs> discovers the scion of the eighth wonder of the world. Um, <laughs> returning from King Kong, pre- just you know, not too many months previously, we have Robert Armstrong as Carl Denham, Frank Riker as Captain Inglehorn, Victor Wong as Charlie the Cook. In not only is the, this the first time he's credited. You know, as opposed to you know the first one, but he gets uh, he gets like picture credit in the be- in the beginning of the film. He's like one of the stars of the movie, which is just it just makes me so happy because he's he brings such a. They figured out something on the first movie, and they brought they they made sure Victor was a big part of this movie, and I'm so glad they did. And we'll talk about that a bit. Um, Noble Johnson returns as the native chief, and Steve Clementine returns as the wish doctor of uh, Skull Island. New faces on this in this movie uh, include Helen Mack as Hilda, who's fantastic. Yes, uh, yeah. Uh, get more into that later. Uh, John Marston as Nils Hellstrom, and uh, as performing. Uh, we're going to alternately call him because in the script in some places, I believe he was called Kiko. 
Uh, he's also known as the son of Kong, and he's referred to as Junior quite a few times. <laughs> um, uh, the great Willis O'Brien returns as his animator, Marcel Degado, as uh, his builder, uh, Harry Redman Sr. and Harry, Henry Redman Jr. also uh, worked on the film as well. And we'll talk about that some more. Um, it's directed by Ernest B. Schoedstack solo. Uh, Marion C. Cooper does not have a director credit on this film, although he shares a producer credit along with Schoedstack and Archie Marshak. Uh, Ruth Rose, who wrote King Kong uh, returns having written this one. Uh, and the music is by the great Max Steiner. By Max Steiner. Uh, just a few reasons why this movie, you know, I, I guess in following up on what we were just t- discussing at the top of the episode here, um, it's almost like everyone did all their R&D on King Kong. So by the time they come to Sundacon, they're like, oh, no, this is how you do this. And bang, there we go. Um, quite a bit. Um, the... Uh, it is released through the NRA, and for uh, our listeners, that's actually the National Recovery Say Act. National Rifle Association. Uh, uh, <laughs> as, as opposed to the, the NRA we are all more familiar with nowadays. Um, and even, you know, the titles and the music start the same, too, with this these big spotlight uh, graphic images and, and whatnot. The, the font almost is the same and stuff. And it's just like, here we're, we're going back at it. Only again, it, I'm going to keep repeating this. Only eight months later, after the other movie came out, there's uh, RCA was, or, you know, uh, RCA was just like we're we're capitalizing on this. You know, here's the money train's leaving the station. We're on yeah. it. Right? <laughs> this is this is this is a great. Um, and what's great about that, I I think, is not too long has passed in the public's imagination since King Kong, so everything is still fresh in maybe hopefully the public's mind from the, the big success that was that film. Uh, and then this movie picks up almost about the same amount of time. Like there, it's almost screen time for real time where we, uh, you know, it's, it's a little less, it's just about a month after Kong's rampage. We pick up with Carl Denham, uh, who is now a prisoner in his own apartment. He's hounded by people bringing him court summons, uh, and, and, you know, trying to sue him and that, you know, he's, he's, and we'll find out he's on the verge of being, uh, indicted by the city of New York city for the damage King Kong brought, you know, he, he was responsible for bringing a gigantic ape to New York, to Manhattan. And because the ape ran wild and killed a whole bunch of people, um, he's in quite a bit of trouble. So it's, it's a unique view of like what's the aftermath of a horror movie right like what is what is oceanland's uh 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 responsibility after the creature from the black lagoon <laughs> yeah. goes crazy in florida and kills a bunch of people does oceanland shut down from from the lawsuits they have to go in a, to, to declare chapter 11 you never see the uh the fallout we only you know we see the happy ending where the the guy and the girl walk off in the sunset but we never see like you know except for maybe i guess in the frankenstein movies we see what happens to the town of Frankenstein after the events of the such? So we do, we do see that sometimes. I guess. Yeah, no, that. But it's fun. To yeah, know. that's one of the things that impressed me the most about this movie is how fantastic the continuity was, especially when you consider yeah. you know this is made what do you say nine months or you know uh, it's made in the same year as King Kong, and right, it was obviously a, a I say obviously, but just just based on the release time. It was obviously a, a kind of a rush push to get this out there to capitalize on King mm-hmm. Kong. And I think it was very easy for um studio, especially at that time, to just throw something together that's similar that has a big ape in it and, you know, just call it good. But of course. This this really went in detail. Uh 
to where, you, you know, you see Carl Denham it, just at his lowest and just hounded and right. chased by these uh, process servers and talking about indictments. And it's just, it's, it is what you would expect um, if you were watching a sequel to something today, you'd expect to have follow-up on, on all these these other areas. Yeah. Not necessarily yes. from a, a quickly produced 1933 horror movie. So it, it, I think it's fan fantastic it, the way they... It plays very contemporary in that way. Almost. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it's also a chance for um, if everybody who's listened to our two-part King Kong episode, which... Obviously, it's still available in our archives. Uh, by the way, we just were notified this. Uh, we, we've recorded 75 episodes at this point of the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. Ooh. This is now the 76th episode. Um, I did the math at an average of about an hour and a half per episode. That's about 113 hours worth of entertainment, which means if you wanted to listen to every episode of the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast back to back, it would take you almost five days. If not sleeping or anything. So don't do that because, you know, you need to sleep. So, so there's 113 hours. It sounds like about the time it takes me to edit an episode of. Uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's possibly. Um, it's possibly a little bit more than that because I think a lot of our episodes run closer to two. So anyway, I was being conservative. In any case, uh, if you have listened to King Kong, uh, uh, I talked a lot in that episode about how actually, you know, Carl Denham is actually the villain of King Kong. I think in my own personal view, uh, King Kong himself is sort of a a force of nature that is unleashed on New York, but and, you know, Denim is the one responsible for bringing the crew there, capturing him, bringing him back, and stuff like that. And thereby, he's basically the villain of the piece. Um, and Robert Armstrong plays him with bravado and and balls and daring, and you know, um, and kind of an amoral sense of like the danger he puts his people in. Yes. What's great about Son of Kong is we see. An evo- the next evolution of Carl Denham, where he's he's humbled, he's shamed, he's regretful, not only for the the deaths of and the suffering that he's caused in, in a human scale, but he feels bad for what he did to Kong. He has grown as a human being to a point where he can have empathy with an animal now, whereas you know he used to go shoot lions. And movie and rhinoceroses and stuff in movies for entertainment and for profit. Um, that you know that that morality never really was part of Carl Denham's makeup. And having had what happened, what what happened has changed him. And he's a way more lovable character in this movie. Like you really want to root for Carl Denham in this movie. Now you don't need you know Jack Driscoll and 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 favorite you don't need the other protagonist to cheer for because Denham's kind of morally quirky uh you can cheer for Denham it's great and he you know again i and and i'll probably keep saying this as the movie, as the episode goes on but um this is really a a a, a way back for Carl Denham uh in this movie it's it's a whole it's a rehabilitation of his character from the first one and i think it was just a neat uh unexpected way to turn it he could have easily come back and been the same guy oh let's go on another adventure and here yeah. we go and that would have been fine it would have been a great movie but it would have been it would have been a good movie it wouldn't have been a great movie and i think that humanity is what makes the the, the contact the bond between denim and the son of the animal he was responsible for killing uh is 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 the emotional core of the movie and it's what makes this movie honestly in my opinion a great movie no i would yeah go. i would totally agree because like you said and you kind of get 
get a glimpse of this at the very end of King Kong when he's standing there, you know, next to Kong's body. Mm-hmm. He's that famous line, it was beauty yes. who killed the beast. You know, he's, he, right. he's, uh, certainly remorse, remorseful there. And then he, he, I mean, he kind of lays it all out just in the first, what, 10 minutes or so of Son of Kong mm-hmm. about the human toll, about the, the toll of the property damage. And, and then, but then also he, he understands the, the, I guess, downstream effects of removing this giant creature from his natural habitat yes. and how that, how that changed so much just because he wanted to, you know, essentially get rich. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. Um, and he thinks, you know, at this point he thinks that he has destroyed something that was one of a kind. Yes. You know, and, and, you know, justifiably, you know, fairly, fairly so. Um, and he'll learn that, that that's not quite the case. Um, uh, so yeah, Denim Strap. And I love how he's got the poster for Carl Denim's Monster King yeah. Kong in the background <laughs> of his his apartment that he's trapped in. So he has to stare at the face of this thing all the time. It's so interesting. And his, you know, even his, you know, the 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 attire they put uh, uh, Robert Armstrong in is cheaper looking than you know his. Obviously, he's not wearing his safari suit and his everything like that. He's dressed like a normal guy, and he's dressed not as. Uh, quite as lavishly and stuff like that. He's been brought low in, in all ways and stuff. And I think that's just something, I, you know, that's a nice touch. Um, Charlie, the cook from the SS venture comes to see him and he says, Englehorn, the captain uh, want, wants to, wants to see him. Um, uh, again, yeah. Wong, Wong, who was not given screen credit in King Kong becomes like a main character in this movie. Uh, he's like the fourth build actor or something, which is, which is amazing to see for an Asian American actor, uh, in this era. It's just fantastic. He was born in Los Angeles in 1907. He died in 1972. Uh, he, he has a small part in, uh, shadow over Chinatown, the Lugosi film. Um, mm-hmm. He's in Thank You, Mr. Moto with Peter Lorre. Uh, and he plays the bandit chief in Frank Capra's Lost Horizon. So, you know, a great career for anybody, much less a a minority in the 1930s in, in L.A., which is which is great. Um, no relation to the other Victor Wong we know uh, from uh, the 80, 80s movies, <laughs> such as Gremlins and, and other things. Uh, I, I, always, I used to think he was maybe his dad or something, but no, it's just, you know. Um, uh Denim, so Denim has to get out of his apartment, and and there are process servers and people trying to, uh, you know, hand him court summons and and things like that. That so the the gag is, and I don't you know, I don't think this is still a thing, but they used to, they would hire just random people to like a summons has to be delivered by hand to somebody for it to take effect, and if that you can't get the the physical piece of paper into the person's hand, um. I think my I think when I was confused by this, my mom explained this to me when I was little. Um, um, if you can't get it in the person's hand, and she, I think she only knew it from movies as well, uh, it doesn't take effect. So you have to find a way to do that. And if the person's hiding on their apartment, obviously you can't do that. So what what people are doing is hiring like rag salesmen and people to pretend they're cousins of other people who live in the apartment and stuff like that to sneak into the building and do that so that they can actually get the summons into. So if everyone understands how this works, then I'm being pedantic. I'm sorry, but you know, just in case, because mm-hmm. um, it's sort of the thing. So it's the setup of the gag is that this creepy uh, rag salesman guy shows up and he and Denim somehow have this kind of like, 
history, like Denim knows who he is and stuff. Um, and he and he served the guy a bunch of he served him a bunch of summons anyway because he's he's good at this. He's good at sneaking in and and hiding. Um, but he feels bad for him because he's given him Denim, so many. <laughs> so, so this, 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 he's given so many, and this guy gets paid for doing this. That's the whole idea. People are hiring and giving people what a dollar or ten dollars or something like that. I don't know to to do this. And it's the depression, by the way. Like we are still in the height of the great. We're almost at the height of the Great Depression at this point. Thirty two, thirty three is when it gets kind of as bad as it as it got. Um, uh, so because he kind of feels bad for him, Denim pulls a favor, and he has. Uh, I I didn't write down the character's name of the the rag salesman guy, but he has him, he has him help him sneak out of the thing, and he, and he sneaks out by putting a <laughs> like a waistband yeah, like a over his head and putting on a pair of suspenders. Yeah. It's yeah, it's the worst. It's the worst disguise. It's so uh, impromptu, but it's it's somehow sir, it somehow fools like this guy who's posing as a blind man selling shoelaces outside the building. He's like, how did you get in and stuff? And he says, I'm like Santa Claus. I came down the chimney, and you know. That it's this whole gag about all these guys or shoeshine salesmen and and uh, and uh, newspaper salesmen posing posing as these occupations and they're doing so anyway. Uh, so Denim gets out of the the uh, the building finally. Um, uh, Denim gets to the uh, the SS Venture, um, and he and not long after meeting Engelhorn and 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 talking with him, he find this is where he finds out that that he's actually going to be convicted indicted by a yeah. grand jury so he's not just facing like financial restitution he's facing jail like he's going to go to prison yeah. for for what he did he's not just getting sued um so he's in a problem uh and Engelhorn, who i love i i, I uh, uh frank frank reicher is reicher is, is so he was so good in the first movie and he's so good in this movie is just like just kind of a decent fella who kind of suffers no fools but he's also you know uh morally he's a kind of even even in 1933 he's kind of an old world kind of guy it's interesting um you get the feeling he's probably former navy or something like that and you know he has this kind of uh thing um to the point where he when they when they do ship out he he, he notes that like the crew they they were able to hire was is a pretty ugly ugly crew um uh Engelhorn offers to partner with them and take their boat to the east indies uh and go trade and, and whatever. Because Engelhorn, I think Engelhorn also thinks that he bears a certain amount of right. legal responsibility yeah. too. So if they're if they're coming after Denim, that he's like, you know what, it's only a matter of time before they come after me too. Cause and he doesn't want to lose his boat. He doesn't want to lose. So they're gonna go somewhere where the American law can't touch them. Uh and and that would be uh the East Indies, which which uh what we're talking about here is Indonesia. Um they're going to go uh, sail thing. And we have a little sailing montage where they go. And then we see uh, what they're doing is you know, the Indonesian archipelago. They go by, it's, it's, uh, let's see, Colombo, Singapore, Samarang, Makassar, Lombok. And they finally end up in Dekang. Uh, the the uh, Indonesian archipelago, by the way, uh, stretches almost all the way from Vietnam to uh, uh, Austra Northern Australia. It's, like Indonesia has like 50,000 different islands in it or something like that. And it covers a landmass bigger than like Alaska or something like that. But you know, most of it's water because it's all these little islands and stuff. Anyway, there's your, there's your Borgo pass geography <laughs> lesson for the day. <laughs> Everybody. 
you're you're just a little smarter. Um, most of these cities are still, but <clears throat> interestingly, Indonesia is still Indonesia, um, and most of these cities still have the same name, even though these would have been a lot of these would have been Dutch colonies or had been Dutch colonies recent until recently. Uh, at this time, it's the same thing, and it's not. Um, so, but this is where uh, supposedly Skull Island is X amount of distance, seventeen hundred miles away from these, and this is why. I made the note that that Skull Island, if if it was inhabited by its traditional residents, uh, all all the all the the natives on in King Kong should actually be Southeast Asian and not African, which is obviously what pissed off one of our listeners, and to the point where they wrote a review on our Apple Podcast thing complaining that I I took six minutes out of a three hour podcast about King Kong to d- discuss that. So. I just took another minute out of your <laughs> podcast for, to discuss that again. So that's what you get, buddy. Sorry. Um, I, I feel like possibly some of our Southeast Asian list, American listeners might enjoy that, that <laughs> me mentioning that tidbit of fact. I don't know. It seems important to them. Anyway, um, in any case, um, they do get it right in this movie. This, it's great. They, there's a lot of um, very uh, accurate Polynesian representation of the guys in the in – the, I don't know the actual name of the the – sarong type skirt thing that men usually wear over there but you know and that and white embarrassingly white white dudes yeah. wear when they go over there on vacation <laughs> i'll I'd probably be one of them um uh they uh they they dock in decang and they are looking around for uh denim and, and um and Englehorn are because they're kind of partners now uh denim's back by the way in his white kind of explorer gear and his his Navy hat and stuff like that. So, you know, smoking his pipe and everything. He's Den- Denim's back. I guess he's kind of back to being Denim before Kong, right? Like when he was sort of this, you know, movie maker, bef- even the movie maker, he was like the explorer guy and he was, you yeah, know, he's, the guy who travels around. He's, and stuff. he's, he's definitely going. got kind of that, uh, that drive in him, you know, that, that even though he's right facing all of this, this trouble and he's essentially, becoming a fugitive um he's he's yeah, he yeah. still kind of becomes a little uh preoccupied i guess with exploration and finding and seeing if there's anything else out there which becomes right. much greater here in the next 15 minutes when he yes. meets his old his old buddy <laughs> right right it this it's fascinating how they they work this out um uh they're they're in decaying they're they're looking for a cargo and apparently they've just missed some cargo that went out, so kind of, you know, they've been doing okay, but they're they need they need work. You know, they're not they're they're surviving. They're not prospering. Um, and I think that probably would have um, resonated with audio. I mean, it resonates with anybody today as well, obviously. But but especially you know a a, a depression era audience that that you know even even this guy who is on top now is sort of just trying to make ends meet. Now uh, he's been he's been brought down to the level of a lot of the folks who are paying two cents or a nickel to go see Son of Kong. So um, I think that's, that's smart writing to make your audience, you know, sympathize and understand with the, uh, your, your protagonist. Um, this is where he, he, he asks um, Englehorn, uh, you know, aren't, aren't we kind of in the vicinity of, of Kong Island and, and Englehorn's like, yes, we're 1700 nautical miles away to the, <laughs> like <laughs> he's already he's looked it up. It, yeah. And, yeah, just out of just out of curiosity, he's checked it out. It's funny. Um, uh, 
they decide to go into town and look at cargoes, and this is where we, we learn, yeah, they missed a cargo. Maybe maybe they can bounce around and find a cargo somewhere else, or maybe they can do this. They're just trying to make it work. And they decide to go and see a monkey show, which is in a movie full of really clever writing by, by Ruth Rose. This might be the best thing of the movie having fun with itself, you know, this callback. And they go in to see the monkey show, and the monkeys are like all – you know, eight inches tall, little, little Macau monkeys or whatever. And, and there's one dressed as a belly dancer and the rest are playing, um, you know, little instruments and stuff. And it's just, it's great. Cause it's the worst, it's like the worst show ever. Well, yeah. In a way, in a way it's the best show ever, but in a way the best it's worst just, show ever. You know, for, yeah, compared to what, what, you know, uh, you know, Denim had rented out a, a, one of the big theaters on Broadway and he'd, you know, chain Kong, you know, 50 feet tall in these, you know, chrome steel and, you know, chains and, and all this stuff. And he had the press there and everything like that. And now here he is in this little tent watching these little tiny monkeys pretend to play. Um, they do fairly well too. I mean, yeah. <laughs> for monkeys. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I personally think the monkeys are fantastic and stuff like that. And it's just, and they don't let it, they they let it play where, on on his face where he's just staring at this at this scene <laughs> these monkeys banging drums and they're wearing little fezes and stuff like that and and it's really it's a, it's adorable and the monkeys themselves are absolutely adorable um uh but it's just sort of subverting your expectations where you think the sequel is going to go bigger and and crazier than the, than its predecessor and instead it it takes you here where, you know, you're 15 minutes in the movie and here we are along with Denim watching a little show with little monkeys in the tent. And, and, and they, they make you watch it for a few minutes. It's funny. It's like, yeah, it's a, it goes on. It's a whole, it's a whole scene. We have monkeys playing things. Don't you understand? <laughs> um, uh, uh, the ringmaster of the show, uh, is, is uh, a guy named Peterson and he's played by Clarence Wilson. Um, Oh, oh, and the best part is that Charlie the Cook is there, and Charlie the Cook is actually loving the show. Like, like he thinks it's fantastic. His his uh, his expectations aren't as high as Denim and and and, and Anglehorn. So Charlie Charlie Charlie's very happy they came to see the show. Yeah, um, yeah Anglehorn and uh, uh, Denim look thoroughly unimpressed throughout most of the. <laughs> oh, it just it, it's so funny. Just plays them. They're like, "This is where it's at. Here we are, looking at watching this." Okay. Here we are. <laughs> um, uh, Peterson introduces the next act is called the Bell Elaine uh, and who turns out to be actually Peterson's daughter, Hilda, who's played by Helen Mack. Um, uh, she comes on and uh, plays, a, plays a little song on a, it's like a, might be a guitar. I think it's a ukulele. I'm not sure. Um, and, and the, the, <laughs> Englehorn is not impressed by her talent you know her singing and her her whatever um but uh but but denim think you know denim who says he has an eye for talent like he notices hilda and he see you know it's like what he saw in Ray. Yeah. he he sees like there's something there um and he might be right because helen mack uh was in quite a few movies she was in she uh the uh and she was in his girl friday and she was actually a child vaudeville odd actress uh, who moved on to film and then she ended up uh uh, producing and directing radio for a while, like like directing radio shows and stuff. So she 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 goes from you know a, a, being a child actress to to these this sort of 
middle part of her career. And then the, you know, the third step of her career became, she became quite an important producer and director, uh, a super talented lady. And she's great in this, by the way, she's so, she's funny and endearing. Your heart breaks for her. Um, but she also brings just this, this inherent kindness to this, to, to the Hilda character. That's really, um, interesting. And, and also, it's 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 a movie where the female character is is really into the male character and he can't go there. You know, for the longest time he resist. You know, Denim she very quickly kind of falls for Denim, and Den and and Denim not only just doesn't even notice it for a while, and then when he does, he starts he really tries to resist the yeah. idea of like, you know, this this kind of thing with with this with this woman and stuff like that. You know, even in the first movie he talks about dames and not wanting them and you know they're just trouble and all that stuff like that and this is this is the den we're meeting here at the beginning of the movie which that's another journey the character goes on which is fun to watch yeah she he because he, he also this is one of the things that kind of carries over from the first one because he made it clear um to Fay ray you know when you first saw her is like hey I, I, you know i'm, oh, I'm right. not interested in or looking for you know, you to repay me a certain way or, or anything like that it's yeah and yeah yeah, and yeah. it carries over here because he's He's, I think, kind of oblivious to it for the at least the first quarter of this movie, um, and then before he kind of realizes it. But uh, you know, yeah. his mind is dead set on just exploration, and he obviously, on some level, cares for her because he does try to take care of her at the same time while telling yeah. her, "Don't follow me." <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, well, you know, as. as keeping in mind what, what happened to the last people who followed him, obviously. Um, uh, there's also, uh, you know, it's nice because in, you know, in a very short amount of time, we're going to see that Hilda loses her dad. Uh, and it's nice to see a male character that doesn't want to take advantage of a woman Yeah, <laughs> in, in, you know, grief stricken kind of emotional, uh, uh, moment in, in a woman's life. Um, there's also a significant age difference between the two. I don't, no, I, I, I'm sure there's Armstrong's at least in his 30s at this point. I, I assume the Denim character is supposed to be about that, um, that same age, and 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 Hilda's obviously quite a young uh, woman and stuff. So, uh, you know, he he sort of tries to be the decent guy, and then finally towards by but right towards the end of the movie, he 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 surrenders to you know whatever is going on between them, and hopefully they they live happily ever after and don't encounter any more giant monsters. <laughs> <Yeah. but, you laughs> You know, remember um, he uh, he he relocates, becomes an investigative reporter, and winds up being that's being right. killed by uh, George Zuko's mad ghoul. By the mad creation. ghoul, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Dang it! What a what a what a bad ending. Um, uh, so you know, and again, we, I talk about the depressionary audiences, and here we have you know Peterson and Hilda, who are also putting on this little tiny show and are struggling. And Peterson apparently used to like work for the big, one of the big circuses and he was a big deal and he's been, he's a victim of, you know, it's kind of circumstance now too. And he's been brought down to a, a you know, and humbled just like denim and stuff. So it's a, it, it's for, for a really quickly done sequel to a really, you know, popular film. It's, it's got a lot of humanity in, in, in it, which is really, it takes time for that. Again, we're, we're 20 some 30 minutes into the movie, 20 minutes, some, some minutes in the movie. And we have obviously not seen, Kong Jr. Yeah. yet at all. We don't see him and you know, for a good you know, into a good portion of the That's film. A, that um, was another uh, pretty big takeaway I took when I watching it. Um it reminded yeah. me a little bit of 
the the more recent Godzilla movies. You know, the first one, you know, people were saying, oh, like, mm. there's too, too, too much monsters, too much monster fighting. And then, like, the next one, oh, God, there's too much human stuff. There's not enough monsters. <laughs> so, like, the, you know, with King Kong, you, it takes about 15, 20 minutes, but then you start seeing stuff with Kong and, and you get on the island right. and, and it, it becomes, you know, 40 plus minutes of just adventure with all these, you know, of, fantastic of creatures and, stuff, yeah, and yeah. stuff. This one is definitely more centric on the actual characters and their own development and their own, you know, personal lives. And, Absolutely. you know, there's, you don't get into the true big monster stuff uh, until <coughs> you're 40 minutes, 30, 40 minutes into this movie. And and then and then once it starts, it's just nonstop. Yeah. Like there's just nonstop other creatures. Baby Kong is fighting and 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 other stuff. Um, it, it's interesting, but you know that might be a, a matter of like you know how how much can we you know film that does we don't require any of the monsters in there, uh, where which requires the stop motion and the so, you know you know that is a slow process. So you know O'Brien and and some other folks uh, are are working on that. Um, so how much screen time can we fill, you know, without it being boring, that doesn't require that much, that, 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 you know, scenes that require that much work. So it's, it's smart. And also like, you know, at this point, everyone's seen King Kong. Like I think it, everyone had seen King yeah. Kong. It was that popular. And, and so now people know what to expect. Like now they're anticipating it in Kong. Like, did they know what to expect? Who knows? Um, uh, they, uh, but here, like, okay, everyone knows it's coming. They've probably seen a trailer or a still or something like that. Like, you know, the kids are like, no, he, there's going to be a big monkey. Just wait, just wait, just wait. <laughs> and, and, you know, we, they, they keep you waiting for a bit and then, and then they deliver, which is, which is really nice. Um, uh, Peterson, the older guy, uh, goes drinking with a guy named Hillstrom who Hilda does not like, uh, they argue Hillstrom knocks Peterson over. Who's, who's much more elderly, uh, in the tent. Peterson knocks over a lantern. The tent catches on fire. Um, Helen Mack has this amazing, like, it's like 10 minutes of her just running around, opening cages and shooing out seals and monkeys, yeah. running running around on stages and, and you know, physically dragging uh, uh, Clarence Wilson as, as her dad out, you know, out, you know, for many, many feet, kicking kicking souls out of the way. It's a very physical, and so you sense this, this woman who probably had gone through vaudeville, um, and was physically very agile and stuff to the point where almost like, it's almost like stunt work. Like she's really like, she's pulling a hundred some pound dude and in heels and she's dragging him for many, many feet and stuff like that. It's a real, it's a, it's a big physical moment for the day. I, I don't think I appreciated that watching it as a younger guy. I was like, man, she's, she really does it. It's great. She does, and and uh, it. She's also so. This is, I think, a pretty big difference between uh, her character and Faye Ray's character. Is that um, you know Faye Ray? It, obviously, she's gorgeous, um, and, and was you know uh, independent to a point. But her character in the first one was very much of a damsel in distress. Uh, yes, e even from the start, you know, before she got taken to the island, she was very helpless. You know, kind of down on her luck. Right. Uh, here, Hilda is the, the complete polar opposite. You know, she, she Absolutely. does not get intimidated by Hellstrom. She's, you know, kind of 
becomes, you know, I, I mean, I'll jump ahead in the story, but uh, she's she's leading the way with Denim throughout the rest of the movie, pretty mm. much. Absolutely. She, she's not, things don't happen to her. Like, like, like Fay Ray spent the entire movie with things happening to her and, and basically with very little agency and, you know, ability to control and, and get herself out of things. She needs Jack Driscoll. She needs, you know, every people, people to help her. Um, uh, yeah. Hilda is, is confronted with very, very bad circumstances Her losing. And so her dad dies, uh, as a result of the, the head wound, um, and not the fire. Um, and obviously, she loses most of their, her property. She saves like a trunk and some dresses. She loses the, the monkeys go up in the trees and refuse to come down now. Um, uh, she's been really set back. And she kind of, you know, she's down on herself and, and she has this great conversation with, with Denim where he says, you know, don't get down on yourself and don't, don't put yourself down and, t- you know, talk yourself up. You know, convince people that you're a thing. Because he's, again, it's Denim, the inherent showman, right? The inveterate showman. Um and and Hilda very quickly like starts trying to figure out how to how to get off the island, how to get, you know, go on to the next stage of the, her career and stuff like that. She doesn't dwell on it. And and you, to the point where like and then she we see in this first conversation with her and Denim that the the sparks of it's like it's almost a little bit like hero worship at first, right? She just looks up to this like this guy who's got a little bit to her kind of bigger than life, and then that evolves into something else and stuff. But what you're saying to what you're saying, Livia, you're so right. Like, like, you know, she's someone who pushes her own agenda forward where to the point where she stows away on the boat, you know, um, and, and doesn't just, she's not a pretty face who just stands there and screams. She's a pretty face who, who gets, does stuff. And she's, she's even the instigator of the, when, when Kong, when Kong Jr. shows up, she's the one who says like, we should help him. We should. You yeah, know, exactly. It's, it's, and not it's, only it's that, so cool. but she, yeah. She takes matters in her in her own hands, <laughs> you know. She yeah yeah yeah. While Denim kind of Denim just kind of stands there and is like, "What? What do you you know?" He's kind of dumbfounded, yeah. I think, a little bit, and she's ripping off part of uh, her dress and doing what she can to yeah, help. Yeah, him. yeah, it's it's almost like a female writing a movie, uh, writing about a female character in this era got a little bit of a chance to actually write like a real person. You know what I mean? <laughs> like if I didn't know better, it, it seems almost like Ruth Rose actually was given the opportunity to write a character that she would admire to, to would enjoy watching on screen, you know, a female character and stuff like that. And, and, and it's not like she wasn't told, well, no, she should be more helpless. She should be more pretty. She should, be, you know what I mean? Exactly. You know, it's cool. It's, it's almost, uh, it's almost like they got away with something a bit for the time. It, and it's fun to watch. Um, uh, Hilda runs into Hellstrom, who she, again, she knows her dad died of a head wound and not the fire. Um, Hellstrom doesn't know that she, that she knows that. Um, and so she's waiting for the the Dutch magistrate or, or whomever, like so, some kind of legal authority is going to be on the island sometime yeah. in, in a month or a few weeks. Um, and, and she's going to basically file i think she's going to file a murder charge against them and and to what you're saying Olivia, she she stands here and faces off against this tough man um without any fear it's like, it's almost like she has nothing to be afraid of anymore she's lost her dad she's lost her monkey she's lost her you know but she's so she's going to bring this guy down one way or the other like she's she's out for this guy and it's really just like it's it's a little noirish it's kind of fun you know um uh, and it's fun that you start seeing Hellstrom 
getting nervous. Yeah. Cause <laughs> he starts to threaten her and that doesn't work. Yeah. It, yeah. He, Cause he starts getting nervous here and it never stops. It just builds throughout the whole rest yeah, of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 To, to, he's kind of, he's kind of insane by the end of the movie. He's also probably drunk most of the yeah. time, you know? Um, uh, I don't, I don't know much about, uh, John Marston and what else he was in, uh, I, it, and that's probably because he, I don't think he did any other horror movies to, that I know of, because that's what I know people from. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but he's he's great in this. Um, uh, um, he goes in the bar, I think to to drink his nerves away a little bit, and he runs right into Denim and uh, and uh, Englehorn, um, and he knows Denim. And this is where we learn in a great plot twist. This is where we learn that Hellstrom is the guy that sold Denim the map. Yeah. To 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 Skull Island in you know in previously to the first movie um, the there were these natives that were blown offshore that got the the map to him and he gets it to them and they they fix that because I think in the first movie he just said Denim just says there were these two natives that were blown off their things and they they had this map or something they were found by like whatever um, and in this film they kind of cleverly insert hellstrom into that narrative where he's sort of like the middleman that that goes from one to the other and he so he sells denim the map thinking that the map is is useless right like he 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 thinks he's gotten one over on denim and it turns out that that the map was true and that there was something gigantic on the island everything like that and and it's funny where denim says like no everything everything worked out everything was true on that thing and he thinks denim's made a fortune so he's like Denim's like, well, okay. He's he's like, do do I do you owe me anything? And he's like, well, okay, I'll give you half. And he's like, half. And he's like, yeah, half half of all the summons, half of the bills, half of the <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the lawsuits, half of everything. He's like, dude. He's like, I'm broke. What are you talking about? It's so funny. Um, uh, see these three three white guys in the midst of a bar in Indonesia. Um, uh, all all down on their luck. There's a there's this little moment in in his, in film history of like 1932, 1933 that I always, Olivia, it's funny, like living in California where it's warm and sunny and there's palm trees and stuff. Around Halloween, the first couple of years I was here, it, it was kind of, you know, it's a bummer, to be honest, sometimes when it's really too warm on Halloween and there's no leaves on the ground stuff, being a guy from PA. Um, and I'd want to watch, you know, monster movies, but but for some reason I started this thing where I started watching this what I call like there was like this jungle horror cycle in twenty in nineteen thirty two nineteen thirty three of these classic movies where you have uh, like White Zombie, yeah. Island of Lost Souls, King Kong, um, even like Murders in the Zoo starts out a little bit in the jungle. Um, for for a couple of years there, you had a couple of these movies. They're all they're all horror movies, but they're all set in like the Caribbean or the tropics or 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 what have you, and um, and even up to uh, I Walk with a Zombie, you know. And I like to watch all of these. And, uh, and I think it's kind of fun to, uh, to, to, to just, I don't know, like, like how do you sell like horror where it's bright and sunny and like a paradise. Right. And, uh, all these movies managed to do so. So that would be, I would spin, I would spin the, the jungle horror movies, uh, for a couple of years there. It was fun. Um, Hellstrom sort of on the spot invents like, well, did you, this, this, this whole, another lie, of course, because he's trying to get off the island. He's desperate to get off the island, and he's desperate for them to take him with them. Um, and he start and he invents this lie, kind of on the spot of, yeah. of, well, did you guys get the treasure that was on the island? And they're like, 
treasure. Yeah, they, they, like, they no, you know, they instantly <laughs> fall for it. Both yeah. of them. <laughs> well, 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 like Denim does, and and and, but Englehorn is kind of you can. I mean, Englehorn, to his credit, doesn't trust Hellstrom from the moment he sees him. He just is from the, from the minute he meets him, he's like, this guy's sketchy. Yeah. Um, and he t- requires a certain amount of of convincing. But Denim, you're right. Denim just jumps on the the chance of. A, I think it's a like another adventure, you know. Ooh, hey, wait, there's another adventure, um, and B, obviously, financial, you know, salvation uh, uh, that would probably solve all his problems, uh, set him up wherever he wanted to live in the world, and he could go back to living a life of some sort of comfort as opposed to, you know, sleeping in a cabin on an old ship and an old, you know, because even in King Kong, like the the venture's not a glamorous ship like it's not meant to to be a glamorous ship it's it's um it's uh yeah uh uh, uh denim kind of putting together the pieces that he can in a desperate attempt to like you know cash in on on this idea yeah. it's no rita you know <laughs> For sure. it's no rita yeah. or rita yeah. too even yeah right she not she may not look like much but that's right um uh um uh, Denim go, he goes to visit Hilda before he he leaves. They're about to set out, and uh, you know she wants to go with him. and He won't let her, and he you know and and you know the the chemistry here is building between the two. Um, he tries to give her some money. You know he wants to to help her out, and in this kind of it, it does walk this line where he, it, there's a little bit of a fatherly uncle thing here. Like like that's how he's approaching this situation. He doesn't view her as obviously a sexual potential partner or anything um you know you know but but um but we can see that she's touched by his kindness and 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 also she doesn't have a hell hell of a lot of other options you know she um i think she also thinks that she might need to get off the island because i there's probably part of her i don't you know so hilda does not realize that that hellstrom is going to be part of this ship so she thinks maybe i think maybe in the back of her mind she's thinking like well, maybe I need to get on the ship because Hellstrom is dangerous and he knows she's onto him and, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's best. And, you know, she doesn't have any more monkeys to worry about. So, you know, I don't know what happens to the seals she releases if they escape into the ocean or they possibly do. Yeah. They go they, on and leave a very true. happy you, life. You don't ever I, see I any of them anymore. <laughs> At least the seals. Yeah. Yeah. The seals just make a run for it. Yeah. Anyway. Um, uh, but you know, so again, she, she wants to go on, on board. He refuses. Absolutely. So of course she's going to sneak on board and that's the next time we'll see her. Um, uh, they get on board, uh, you know, they, they set sail. And again, like I said, the Englehorn's already made a note that like the, the first mate on the boat is a, a shady character and he doesn't like him. Um, there's a, there's kind of this Bolshevik subplot <laughs> weird thing on the boat here that I never understood, Mutineer. I think, when I was younger watching this movie. Yeah, where they mutiny. But but all the mutinying is like, it's very socialist, where they're like, like they're a communist at the time, which is, you know, a, a topic of, you know, people were talking about it, the, the rise of communist Russia at this time, of the USSR, um, where, you know, the boat, the, the, the crew of the boat has decided that they don't need any more captains working above them. They're all going to work together and share and do all this stuff. But it's funny because they're all these like kind of roughneck guys 
you know, unshaven and, you know, everything like that. But, but they have these sort of lofty opinions about, you get the feeling they read, you know, they read, uh, uh, some, 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 uh, a Lenin book, you know, by, or whatever that, you know, they, they, they made to understand like the difference with the, the proletariat and the, and the bourgeois yeah. and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, it, it, to, to a modern audience, it comes off a little, you know, um, not hammy, but like, like on the nose, I, I would think. But, but the funny part of it is that Hel- Hellstrom is sort of working the crew. He's, he's telling them like, well, you know, the last trip Denim took, nobody, nobody survived. And, you know, you know, you don't want that to happen to you. I would make sure if I was the captain, I would make sure we never go to Skull yeah. So, so he's fomenting obvious, this, yeah, this, this uprising. Yeah, yeah, crew. Thinking, yeah, yeah. Thinking that, that, that he can get rid of Denim and, and, and Eckhart, um, or Englehorn and, and then take their place and he'll be the captain now and he'll have his own boat. Cause, cause the, the backstory of him is that he lost his boat. He, he, he got was drunk and he wrecked it on some coral reef or something like that. So, you know, while he used to, be basically like like an Englehorn. He doesn't anymore. Um, Charlie notices that Charlie the cook notices uh, that that there's something amiss on the boat, and the crew discovers that that Hilda has snuck on board. Um, so now there's there's this added complication where now there's a woman on board, and and um, and uh, and they have to deal with that. And you know, it's like Denim's mad, but he kind of can't blame her, but in a way he's also happy to see her and there's this whole, you know, kind of thing. So, um, but, but then she's confronted with the fact that, that, that Hellstrom is on this boat too. So now, now the boat she snuck onto has the guy who killed her dad on it as well. And, and, um, Denim, you know, Denim who already is leery of, I, you know, I don't think he totally trusts Hellstrom. He just, Hellstrom might be kind of a means to an end. Um, now he realizes Hellstrom might truly be a villain and they might all have made a, a bit of a misjudgment. Just a little bit. <laughs> and, it, but it's, I don't know. I kind of, so I was kind of expecting like uh, Hellstrom to kind of have the crew around them and, and maybe towards the end, the crew kind of realizes like their ways and, and all that stuff. But I was mm-hmm. very, very surprised that the crew in the same breath that they, expel denim and Englehorn. They literally pick up Hellstrom and say, you're a worse captain than the one that we just had. <laughs> and yeah, they, yeah, yeah, they yeah. dump him overboard. And, and now he's, you know, stuck with, uh, or rather denim and, uh, Englehorn are, yeah, and are stuck with Hellstrom. Stuck with him. Yeah. I, I like the line. Like, do you think we, we, we get rid of a good captain so we could have a yeah. bad one? <laughs> they, like they're sailors. They, they realize that this guy, is probably terrible at this. So it's funny. Um, uh, which, so that is what happens. They, the, the crew shows up, they mutiny, they put Denim, Englehorn and Hilda off, off the venture onto like a little rowboat. Um, Charlie decides to get off with them, which is great. Cause he's like, I don't like those guys. I'm going to stick with you guys, which is, which is awesome. And then they're like, Oh, if we only, we had some guns. And then Charlie's like, Hey, and he sees like, he's, he's actually stashed some guns, on the on the rowboat yes. for them and stuff in advance, like he he kind of saw this coming and stuff like that. So Charlie's a bit of a hero in the movie because without that, yeah, they might have been in trouble. But the 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 complicating factor is that they throw uh uh a uh, Hellstrom off the boat as well, and you know they they're sort of 
indebted to you know just by being decent folks not to not let him drown and they uh they bring hellstrom on so so now the five of them are going to be trapped on the island together so now we don't have like all the those sailors running around back and forth and having to interact with the thing and i think you know maybe that's a budgetary decision to have less characters to deal with once we get to the island and when you have all the special effects interacting with them and stuff and if 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 that decision was made out of uh, you know that writing decision was made out of practicality then it sells it's great and it doesn't seem awkward or, or out of place or anything it's just it's just it's like okay now it's just like a couple people stuck on a on a abandoned island which is kind of neat um with one of them is a raving maniac so there you go like that's kind of um that's good drama there that's great yeah so this will be sort of you know our uh, second half slash third act of the film is is these five people trapped on the island and you know again like i said up till now we have not seen i mean the most miraculous thing we've seen are the the monkeys playing the drums and belly dancing so which is pretty miraculous but yes <laughs> um uh, and, and there's this added, you know, cool tension where, you know, the, the one guy stranded on the island we know is a liar and we know he was responsible for the death of, you know, one of our, our, our kind of leading lady and stuff like that. So it's just, yeah, good, good writing tension. Um, and then now it's like, you know, we're, we're paid off for, for what we're saying. So something IMBD, I, I, IMBD, IM. DB noted, and, and I do believe it's, it's one of the same. Have, yeah. yeah, yeah, I'd have to look at it to uh, to um, compare. Is it the shot where they're pulling up on um, the shore of Skull Island, Kong Island, um, which is actually the shore of of uh, Catalina Island here in LA? Uh, that matte painting, the glass painting behind it, and the, and the beach shot itself was reused, I guess, in uh, <laughs> Citizen Kane by. Which is obviously another RKO show. So, so it's just the idea that Citizen came, Citizen Kane stole, uh, you know, or reused a piece of footage from Son of Kong just kills me. Um, it's almost as good as as uh, 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 what is it? Um, Vivian Lee and Clark no, Gable, Gone, with the, Gone with the Wind. It's almost as good as how Gone with the Wind used the sets of King Kong and burned them to replicate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 the burning bastards. of Atlanta, like like it's these are such an integral part of these you know these films and stuff. Yeah, film history. Um, uh, I still love the even the even the rowboat says SS Venture in it. It's uh, it's all that Englehorn has left. If <laughs> it's like it's like anyone who teams up with with Denim, just you know, be prepared. You're gonna lose everything. Yeah, <laughs> your life is instantly in danger. Yeah, exactly. Your life's in danger. You're gonna lose all your stuff. Um. They run into the natives again on the island. Uh, we have Noble Johnson uh, uh, repeating his his performance again. Um, yeah. I won't. I won't yeah. go back and they, they 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 want they want no part of <laughs> seeing old Mr. Denham and Englehorn again. They're see, just see, like, they know nope, better. They're nope. smarter than Englehorn. They're like, get the heck away from us! Everywhere yeah. you go, disaster follows. Like Kong just did, you know rampaged and destroyed our thing and stepped on people and. Put him in his mouth and shoot him and spit him out. Eight people, yeah, <laughs> yeah, dude. Um, so, so you know, Denim, Eckhart, Hillstrom, Hilda, and Charlie all have to jump back on the boat. Um, but it's a good idea because this way we're not stuck having to see like the same part of Skull Island. Now we get to sort of explore a different part of Skull Island that we haven't seen before. So they don't have to match it and you know rebuild it or or what have you. Um, 
they're not beholden to it. So it's a great idea. So <clears throat> I personally love this. They, they, they row into this from around the island, they row into a cave and they, they go down this kind of like river inside a cave. And it's, you know, it's, it's the boat in front of a process screen, you know, with, with denim and everybody rowing. And then there's like, they're rowing through kind of a miniature and there's just like a, there's just a charming land of the lost type <laughs> quality to, to how kind of not, this doesn't work, this shot, you know, like the special effects. Um, I adore it. I just think it's kind of like, it's, it, it, it introduces you to the, the fun you're going to have. Cause obviously this, you know, I mean, even, even the original King Kong, it's not the, the verisimilitude they achieved was kind of amazing for the day, but obviously we're not watching something that we're expecting to be photorealistic. We're just along for the ride for a, a what was a high tech special effects you know, presentation of its era. So yeah. Yeah. Um, for sure. Yeah. And yeah, that said, like I said, it works, it works kind of great. Um, uh, Hilda is not well dressed for this occasion in, in her skirt and heels and everything as usual. She's wearing, she gets to wear more clothes than Faye Ray was stuck wearing, but you know, maybe, maybe yeah, Faye Ray's <laughs> attire was more practical. You never know. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, she and, uh, Denim, Denim's going to go try to climb their, his way out of this, this whole thing. Um, uh, he's taking kind of nominal charge of of the the thing. Engelhorn uh, uh, um, has to. Um, and from the beginning, Hillstrom is kind of like, like, oh, maybe maybe he's I'll just grab a gun edge. too. And they're like, yeah, no, no, I don't think. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, and they, and they even say, you know, like, hey, this guy's a danger because of how scared he is and like how on edge he is. I think Engelhorn even. Right says that like you know we don't have a lot of time before this guy completely loses it <laughs> yeah 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 he's he's on this verge of this nervous breakdown or whatever he's just seen so much and so yeah to the point where like you said like they know even even when denim tells Engelhorn about about the baby kong he's like don't tell hellstrom he's ready to crack and if he sees a giant ape he, he'll just lose his mind um yes uh, uh Denim and uh, and Hilda following after him climbs up, and we see the first shot of Kiko slash Son of Kong slash Junior, uh, who's stuck in some quicksand, <laughs> and he's kind of in a little bit of a predicament. Yeah. And he's just so this is um, this is the same armature as as Kong that uh, one of the Kongs. It's the I believe it's the long faced version of Kong uh, that you saw more in the. Uh, oh geez, is the long face the one you see more on Skull Island, and the and the square faces. The round faces, the more you see in, in New York City. I can't remember because they built them to two different scales so they could they could photograph them differently. And I can't I'm I'm blanking everybody, sorry on which is which. Anyway. Um uh but they did take one of the armatures of Kong and they stripped it, uh rebuilt it a little bit, and and uh obviously referred it as a white gorilla, which is just a great idea because you're never first of all, it's a white gorilla, that's kind of interesting looking. Um you're never gonna confuse Baby Kong with his dad. Um, you know, I, you know, visually, uh, and it, and it, it helps you, I think, just do a mental reset into like, okay, now here's a more, yeah. here's a more fun version of, of Kong. And obviously he's, he is, while the model is the same size, he is scaled down in proportion to the human characters he interacts with and stuff. So he's, he, well, Kong is supposedly like, you know, 40 feet tall or so he's like 12 or 12, 12 or 15. Yeah. yeah or, or Kong's 25. Yes, I can't remember. But- yeah. Yeah, I think that's what Denim mentions is that he's he's around twelve, mm-hmm. about twelve feet high. Yes, and I will say, you know, I think it's almost like the 
I'll call it the Godzilla effect. You know, the 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 first Godzilla movie, obviously the the Godzilla is is meant to be a monster, meant right. to meant to be uh, yeah. fearful. And it was like that with, you know, the first King Kong. The very first time we see Kong uh in the first movie, you know, he he's running up to Fei Rei right. and you just see his face is huge and he's got this kind of growl and mean look on his face and it, it's it's meant to scare people. Yes. But here it's it's like it's like the opposite. You know, it's like by the end of the original King Kong, I think the producers here realized, okay, he's not the villain, and I think the audience knows that. So this one yes. is is more cute and more, you know, friendly. You don't get the the uh, the sense that he's a villain or that yeah. outside of his size and his you know seemingly massive strength. Like there's no real threat there, like there was with Kong. So it's yes. kind of like, like I said, you know how Godzilla quickly becomes a good guy and like a hero mm-hmm. and rescuing Tokyo in most of his movies. It, yes. Yeah, it's I, I think something similar happened here, which is you see the son of Kong, this giant, well a little less giant, but still a giant yeah. ape, and it's just like I said, it's he's cute. He's yeah, he's they're, they're friendly. working a little more he's, personality into him. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, you know, I. I and I said this in the King Kong episode. I, I do. I do think the intention was like, here's a movie about this giant monster uh, who's like so dangerous and everything like that. And and to some degree, maybe that was the thesis going in. And then I think Willis O'Brien's and Marcel Delgado's like characterization comes in, and 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 a little bit of retrofitting was was required um, because Kong turns out like yes, he can be scary, but Kong can be also like pretty adorable when he's like you know, fiddling around with something or like, you know, everything. And then, and then, yeah, yeah. Playing it like going, like leaning deeper into it here with, with, with son of Kong, um, which, yeah. you know, we've never, never in the movie. Is there any established thing that this is the actual offspring of the ape we encountered in King Kong? I mean, there's, there's an assumption that how many there these can be around. Um, there's no, description of where his mother would be i mean i mean the whole idea is that he's the last of his kind um just like we thought king kong was who well, we think we, son of kong is maybe the last of his kind which we find out is yeah, not the and, true because there's one in africa in oh, uh, money yeah, joe yeah. i forgot about <laughs> yeah that. yeah i forgot about that <laughs> I, I was just about to say spo- spo- spoiler if it was at least on this island there isn't by the end <laughs> yeah yeah well and, and and you know this this movie yeah spoilers uh does it in with Skull Island too? I mean, this is this is it for Skull Island within this uh, uh, series of, of of movies. Um, uh, our friend Chris on uh, of the a friend of the show um, and and on Facebook, when I post about a picture of Junior and said we're going to do this episode, he posited he said he said, "Is this the first son of movie ever made? Is this the first movie to like capitalize on the offspring of?" A well-known character. Now, I'd be willing to bet in pulp literature, there had been son of, you know, this kind of filial descendant sequelization. Like, there must have been, like, you know, Dusty Rider and then son of Dusty Rider in, like, old Western books in the 20s and stuff. You know, that that kind of stuff. Or even back to, like, uh, like Penny Dreadful type era. Um, I'm not sure yeah. in film history, though, if there was a son of movie that, that was structured like this. And, uh, you know, there was actually a sequel of something in the, in the main character. Um, obviously, following after this, we, we get Son of Frankenstein, Son of Dracula, you know, Son of the Creature from the Black Lagoon. Um, 
<laughs> if only uh dracula's yeah. daughter we we have a, a series and even the wolf the um not the wolfman the um invisible man movies have the the, the sequelizations end up being like brothers and nephews descendants, and descendants yeah. and stuff yeah yeah this again like i said this filial connection that that i guess just i guess is, some, is somehow satisfying for an audience I, I, I as opposed to just like well here's another one or here's another guy who became invisible or here's another vampire like you're capitalizing on the name value of its predecessor, obviously. And you're also creating yeah. this whole legacy idea. Um, so, I mean, if anyone knows of a son of movie that came out before 1933 here, let us know. But as far as I can tell, yeah, I don't know. It might, it might be the first, it might be a, a trendsetter. It might be. Cause you know, it, I mean, even just the notion of, of having any type of descendants, mm-hmm. I don't think that really started. Well, I'm thinking of Universal Horrors here, but yes. I don't think that really started until Dracula's daughter. Yeah, Bride of Frankenstein. Because um, I mean, the, you know, Dracula's daughter. Yeah, uh, right yeah, but there. I mean, there's no, there was no, yeah, like offspring, no, no descendants. It was just right. let's create, you know, let's create a mate. Mm-hmm. It, but with Dracula's daughter, it was you know something different. It, yes. it was you know she was his his daughter, and then of course you move into Son of Frankenstein and. Ghost of Frankenstein, Son of Dracula, and, and, yeah, yeah, exactly. And all that yeah, stuff. You yeah, you get into this thing. Even even Frankenstein versus Wolfman. You have his daughter, and you know, um, everything, um, which would be like the granddaughter, basically, of Frankenstein. Yeah, and yeah, um, yeah uh, who knows? But anyway, so you know, now the good times are rolling. So we have Baby Kong, and he's you know he's stuck in the quicksand, and they at, at Hilda's urging, they decide to go help him out, and they they. Uh, help push over a, a tree branch that helps him climb out, you know, get some leverage and climb out of the thing. And baby Kong is, is, you know, I think there is a little bit of even more sophistication, you know, from the original Kong where I, I, I feel like uh, son, son of Kong has a little bit more uh, facial expression ability, uh, a little bit more personality, like kind of built in yes. like it, it to him a little more flexibility that you see like the, his, the first thing he does is he looks and he tw- twirls his wrist around like a real person. Like if your wrist is hurt and you kind of like twirl it around on this ball joint, you're like, you know, it's just, it's neat. Um, and, and then the white fur also like, you know, maybe one of the things they realized about Kong is that him being black, like really ate up a lot of visual information. Um, and and son of Kong, like him, for instance, being stuck in quicksand. Now you have a contrast between that white fur being dark with mud or what have you, and like yes. you get just get more out of it. Like it's it's such a, it was just a great R and D idea. Um, like you're saying, uh, uh, Engelhorn shows up, um, and he and Charlie and Hellstrom are going to go uh, hunt for food, um, and they have this conversation where he's like, "Don't tell Hellstrom about the giant monkey." Like, yeah, he's gonna, yeah, he's yeah. That yeah, that's it. when he's like, yeah. you know, yeah. Hellstrom <laughs> cannot handle this. He will go nuts, and we will all be in danger. Ixnay on the unky may I and J. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, pig lines never not funny. Uh, uh, <clears throat> never not funny. <laughs> um, yeah. So so these guys are going to go off and and hunt too. But but you know, pro- trying to protect Hellstrom from the idea of like there's a giant ape only last so long because these guys immediately get ta- attacked by a Stracosaurus. <laughs> so like, like, you know, Hellstrom is put in this kind of situation anyway. Um, I was, uh, I was curious about like what type of dinosaur, cause I thought it looked a little bit like a Triceratops, but mm-hmm. then it didn't. It is and, a Styracosaurus you know, with uh, uh, six, six or seven horns or something. Um, yeah. So okay. I, I figured you would know because yeah. you know, my, my dinosaur knowledge extends to, 
Jurassic Park. So, uh, right, right, right. <laughs> I, I not not exactly uh, accurate to real life. I was a big time dinosaur kid. I could say Ankylosaurus in in first grade. Um, everyone was impressed, and it was all downhill after that. Um, uh, yeah, and I believe the Stracosaurus is a. Uh, yeah, you can see all the different horns on its frill there. Um, I believe the Stracosaurus was was. Uh, going to be in a scene or, or they'd started, they'd filmed a scene for Kong original, like Kong 33 and, and it had been either deleted or they'd abandoned it or it had not made the cut. So this was, this is sort of a, they had this ready to go and they're like, well, let's, let's put him in there. Um, I believe I'm pretty sure Peter Jackson owns this, the, the, at least the armature and what's left of this, uh, dinosaur at this point. Yes, um, he does. Along, along with, I mean, he owns like the Pteranodon from Kong as well. And, I mean, he probably owns Willis O'Brien's bones at this. I mean, you know, I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. he, he actually owned, he actually just bought the real Empire State Building just because, you know, it featured in the yes. movie. He just bought it. Half of New York City. That's what yeah. happens when you make Lord of the Rings. Uh, makes a billion and a half dollars. Uh, Denim, meanwhile. I believe he, I, go ahead. I believe, believe he also owns one of the, I think it was stop motion cameras or something yeah. used in Son of Kong. Yeah. I remember um, seeing that in the uh, the bonus features of the right the original. Right. Yeah, these these factored really big uh, into Jackson's you know origin story as a, as a filmmaker, obviously to the point where he finally got to make his own version of it, which is really a wonderful. I I love the Peter Jackson uh, uh, King Kong version, except for maybe one casting choice, <laughs> possibly <laughs> maybe maybe is is a little bit of a detriment to me in the film. Who knows. Um, Maybe someone was a little too broad in his performance of uh, <laughs> a certain filmmaking hunter uh, character. I don't know. Uh, otherwise, though, I mean the the characterization of the ape it, and everything that is just in most one of the most amazing things ever accomplished in film. It's just incredible. Yeah. It's, it's interesting how I knew exactly who you're talking about yeah. without yeah, you yeah, yeah, having yeah, to yeah. say it. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I'm not going to say it out loud. Yeah, yeah. but um, that was the one I think I told it on the on the King Kong episode where we watched it, and my wife just looks at the end. She looks at me and she's crying. She's like. You didn't tell me he dies at the end. I was like, it's it's King Kong. You know, we're so inside our own world sometimes. And my wife, who's not yeah, a big old movie fan, um, uh, of this type of movie at least, um, like it never would have occurred to me that you don't realize that, that yeah, Kong dies at the end. <laughs> she was so sad. It was it was wonderful. Um, why she's amazing. Wonderful. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, because, because she loves animals and she, yeah. Um, and and that digital character really touched her the same way that, that um, you know, the stop motion, you know, armature and, and fur and, and, you know, hand, handcrafted animation in, in these films touch, touch me and touch me as a, as a kid. Um, Denim and, and Hilda have stayed behind and they're searching for this treasure that Hellstrom mentioned. And they're um, almost immediately attacked by a giant bear, which is an interesting addition to um, the, the fauna of, of, skull island um in, in that you know it's another uh it's another mammal it's not a, a reptile um and it's a little bit of diversity and then we get you know i it I, it's this film's version of the kong t-rex fight where uh baby kong fights this actually much larger i guess this would have been like a almost like a cave bear almost like a prehistoric type type bear um it's yeah. it's really beautifully animated with its paws. It paws look great, just like a bear's paws with like, they're actually, you know, the pads on the bottom and they're flat and everything. Um, and they engage in, uh, 
you know, like like we talked about in King Kong, like they kind of do a little wrestling type moves in in King yeah. Kong. Like uh, uh, Kong Junior is, is full on like a, a a professional wrestler. Like he 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 does all these like it, it's almost like a little Brazilian jiu jitsu. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, he wraps his legs and flips the guy and stuff. It's it's a great fight, which is it makes great sense because obviously, I mean, uh, they they do they do have have Baby Kong throw a few like hooks and stuff. So it, there's a little bit of a pugilist pugilism in it and then there's there's this wrestling thing this this fight goes on quite a bit kong gets bit a couple times um and and uh but he finally manages to to chase the bear away and the bear was because again the bear's bigger than him the bear's like if he's 12 feet the bear's got to be like 15 20 um it's massive and yeah the bear been. is huge yeah. compared to Terrifying. compared to kong and i don't know i think cave bears were like almost like 15 20 feet tall they were gigantic um, the more, you know, our modern bears, slightly more prehistoric, uh, versions. So, um, uh, <clears throat> there's some fun bits in the, in the fight. Kong gets his, his finger bit and he hurt and he gets knocked down and he, and he gets dazed and his eyes roll. So, you know, you, you have this, you know, there's just a little bit of Re- Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer Rankin-Bass animation, like proto here <laughs> where you get when like Rudolph or, or, uh, or, uh, you know, Cornelius, the the whatever like like gets knocked down and their eyes roll and everything like that it's a little cartoony um and it's which is it's great it's it's all fun um keep it in mind like a huge amount of the audience for this movie would have been i mean they realized we're been children like you know kids were not scared yeah as much of king kong as i think they thought they were going to be the kids kids were kids loved king kong to the point of you know king kong's instrumental in ray bradbury's kind of you know again like creative origin story i think he and Bradbury and and I can't remember who else would just go see King Kong like over and over and over again in the theater. They were just they're mystified by it. And I got to meet Ray Bradbury right towards the end of his life when he was talking about King Kong and how much he he loved it and how much these films influenced his journey as a, as a creative, which is wonderful. Um, Denim and Hilda are again. No, it, go ahead. No, I was, I was just going to last thing kind of on this fight, um, and this struck out to me again. You know, having not seen this before. I think sometimes, um, and it's back to your point earlier about, you know, we, we, we get so engrossed in our own world of seeing these movies constantly that we, we, we sometimes I think get so used and so accustomed to certain, um, certain plot devices, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, example is I think just in old, older movies like this in general, but specifically some of these, you know, horror movies, if there's ever a fight, um, f- a large percentage of the time, it's very quick and, you know, it's usually like one or two punches mm-hmm. and some guys, you know, like over the top falling and, and is like completely just, you know, out of it and wrecked and, and things like that. Right. But this one was incredibly, I mean, it, just beyond the fact that they're using miniatures and stop motion, yeah. it was so realistic as far as. Uh, it wasn't a one-two punch by King Kong, and suddenly this bear's just you know incapacitated. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It was, it was a real struggle. It was you saw real injuries, and it was just it, for <laughs> for a movie with with you know puppets and and stuff like that. Yeah. There's so much realism here. It's it's incredible. It, it obeys the laws of physics, you know, pretty yeah. closely, like the gravity and and inertia and everything kind of work. Yeah, no, you know, you're right. It's it's really and it is like. Um, it goes on long enough that you feel like it's kind of exhausting. I mean, it's not, 
you know, there's that famous scene at the end of Kurosawa's Stray Dog where the the guy who the cop finds the guy who the criminal who stole his gun at the beginning of the movie and they finally chase him to this field in the in the summer and they have this fight that goes on and on and on until they're both just gasping and almost ready to pass out. It's and it's it's exhausting to watch. It's terrifying. I mean, it's almost like that kind of thing where you're like, Man, that was that took something out of him. He really like showed up and, you know, again, it's like Denim and Hilda helped Baby Kong and Baby Kong goes in and helps them and stuff and he's he's very childlike and stuff i love that um max steiner's leitmotif you know music for for kong like kong's baby kong's theme is this kind of sassy horn (laughs) it's like yeah (laughs) like it's just a little again it 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 appears just a little into the more like warner brothers you know yeah yeah it makes it makes him more adorable it makes him less scary it makes him you know um and he's uh you know, so he's hurt, and and uh, Hilda does the classic thing of ripping, which I'd like to see the first time that happened in a movie where uh, the actress reaches, you know, the lead la- the lady reaches up under her skirt to her slip and tears off a strip of her 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 undergarments to use as as a bandage. I wonder when the first time that popped up in movies was because that definitely came became quite the trope. Um, not it least did. because I think you get it glimpse of lady's legs when when you do that which used to be a very exciting thing for me <laughs> yeah there's there's a definite distinction i think between pre-code movies because it was a little bit more about the uh the sexual aspect yeah. and and the seeing the, the girl as opposed yes. to yeah, as opposed to later on which was just you know just doing it just to do it this for is, whatever reason is, in the plot <laughs> this was like tearing off part of your skirt was the, the equivalent of foreplay in 1933 at this point <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah that little strip back. i saw i saw knees wait hang on um yeah it's in the in the slightly more repressed uh era um um uh uh kong, baby kong uh knocks down some coconuts for them and and gives them some sustenance and then they go and and, and denim gets mad he's like go away you know you're you don't know your own strength you're dangerous and stuff and kong, kong slunks away and they go and they build a fire and of course baby kong just is huddling right around the corner near them kind of fascinated with these new people and um you know feeling maybe a little sense of responsibility for them you know um uh you know he's kind of he's slightly dog-like you know he's very loyal he's very like brave and protector you know and, and everything um and adorable so there's that um um Hilda and Denim have a little moment by the fire and, and there's this another step in this very nice gradual evolution of their relationship together um, where he gives her his coat and he's very gentlemanly and stuff. And, you know, the, again, this guy who like didn't want anything to do with women or dames, you know, in, in the first <laughs> yeah. movie, like just did nothing but trouble on a boat, you know, um, uh, it was hard to see who, who was, who was, who disliked women more, him or Jack Driscoll in the first movie? But obviously Jack Driscoll comes around pretty fast. And then in this movie we get to see uh Denim come around. Um again, it's this it's this thing I talked about when we did uh Alan of Lost Souls, where having I I guess it's based in some kind of reality, having Westerners exploring these tropical areas wearing white, because the white would have been cooler and you know black would absorb heat and white reflects it so you stay cooler if you wear whiter clothes but also visually it really always helps you know you can always see just like kong is white colored um you can always see like here's our heroes all in white you know against these darker backdrops these trees these foliage whatever what have you and stuff like that they stand out better um 
And I guess it also lets, lets you see them get dirtier and dirtier as the, as the film goes on, yes. like that kind of evolution too, which is their ter- clothes get, getting filthier. So that's fun. Cause Hellstrom's all in white, uh, Charlie and, and, and Engelhorn, um, who, who, by the way, come out of the cave, the Stragosaurus has moved on to something more interesting. Um, and, but it, but it has destroyed their rifle. Yeah. Um, destroys their gun. That is one thing that I didn't really necessarily care for because there's such a gap between when you see them like cornered mm. and in, in that cave. Yeah. And, you know, the dinosaur, I'm saying dinosaur because I'm not able to say that word you just mm-hmm. said. <laughs> the, the dinosaur is like going after him. Um, there's such a, a gap of time between that and then when you actually see them come out. Come out again, yeah. I mean, I, it's a it's a little I think it was a little bit too long, mm. but um, you're like it, what happened? Because I did again? find yeah. myself, yeah. yeah, I did find myself wondering like, did they die or did you know like what happened? Yeah, it's almost like you needed one more scene of them huddled by their own fire that night while, you know. Denim and, and Hilda are by theirs or something, or just or just sitting sitting in that cave shivering, like like saying, like, yeah. you go out and see if it's still there. No, you go out and see if it's still you know. I think you'd have <laughs> yeah. a, like another you're right, it's almost like missing a, a beat there to keep them al- we call it keeping them alive. Like, you know, you keep the audience reminded that someone's still there doing something. Um uh but it is next morning. They they've they've got nothing. Denim fires off a round to try and see if they're okay, um, which awakens the sleeping Kong Jr. Uh and um, and you know, uh, uh, alerts them, and they, they're like, "Oh, you're still here," and stuff. And you know, Denim has, he just has this curmudgeonly relationship with them. He's like, "You don't don't help us. Like you're fine, you know, just yeah. whatever." <laughs> and and Kong Junior just wants to, he wants to be part of it. Um, Denim is still searching for the entrance to this. Like they are, where they're at in in this kind of cave like cliff area. Um, there is a very clear section that looks like it was built by humans. Um, there's these kind of like side pillars and whatnot. And it looks like it was kind of closed up yeah. intentionally. And Denim's like reduced to poking it with a stick and trying to like, you know, wedge it all out and stuff like that. And of course, Kong Jr. trying to be helpful just walks up and, and there's like hieroglyphs and stuff like that. And Kong Jr. just walks up and just shoves it and the whole thing falls down. <laughs> so it's, it's not Deus, Deus Machina. It's like Deus Monkey. Um, and it reveals this this tomb or cave on the inside with this giant statue um, that is holding a giant diamond. And so even though, and we find out later that Hellstrom like totally made up that story of the, the, the treasure tr- just to try and get off the island, um, it turns out, again, like with Kong, he was like accidentally correct. Like... <laughs> Like you just have Hellstrom make yes. up stuff because the the things he makes up end up coming true all the time. <laughs> Not sure how that works. Um, it's a great cave with this this beautiful uh, uh, stat giant statue of indeterminate anthropological origin, um, and these like melted stalactites, stalagmites, things like that. Um, and uh, and Baby Kong helps uh, Denim pull down this giant. There's a amulet with a giant diamond and for once releasing this amulet from the grasp of the statue does not cause calamity right away maybe it has something to do with it i don't know with the coming earthquake i don't know um uh but the 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 story element is that while he's doing while he's looking at the diamond baby kong picks up his rifle which is the their only remaining rifle now 
And he proceeds yeah. to stick it in his eye and put the barrel in his mouth and play with it. It's just you're just like, oh no, no, no. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Uh, Denim's like yelling at him. Yeah, like, he, you, you know, that? trying to reason with him. You're going to shoot yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You big dummy. And, and, and Kong actually does sort of like shoot his hand or burn his hand on and stuff like that. And he, so he proceeds to just break the rifle, just trying to you yeah. know, look at it like, like a kid, you know? Um, and Denim's like, good job, buddy. Like, aren't you proud of yourself? <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, so, so now that, now the, the humans here are rifle-less, uh, and, and, you know, they, they have no armaments anymore. And they're now, they're, and they're still, they found this diamond, obviously, uh, but they're still trapped on the island. So there's that problem, obviously. Like, it's, it's not going to do them much good. And I want to talk about that theme a little bit later on. Um, <clears throat> we have another of these whole, like, just random, monstery animal wanders up to them and and is looking for what's going on so it you know it, it gives us another opportunity to have another fight uh uh with with kong versus this uh you know dragon lizard thing not not nearly as uh you know uh uh, uh historically you know uh uh uh, uh paleontologically accurate as, as yeah. the Stracosaurus. Yeah. Um, this is like a creation. Loch Ness monster. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, which, you know, is interesting because most of the dinosaurs in the first movie were very uh, based on, on, on actual, you know, remain, you know dinosaur remains and, and what we, what, what we knew about dinosaurs at the time, obviously things have changed. Um, this might have something to do with, and, and this is a, this is a tough topic, but I feel like you don't talk about this movie without having to address this. This might have something to do with the fact that Willis O'Brien sort of abandoned this project partway through. Um, during the production, his wife shot their two sons and attempted to shoot herself. Uh, their sons died, uh, but Willis O'Brien's wife survived. Um, and so that obviously changed things for Willis O'Brien. Um <clears throat> I did not know that. Uh, yes. Yeah. That is, um, that is yeah. It's a really, really sad thing. I think obviously his wife suffered from some kind of mental illness that might or might not have been diagnosed at the time or understood, obviously. Um, and, uh, and yeah, uh, uh, so his family and, and, you know, Will specifically like endured this horrible tragedy in the midst of his work on this movie. So um, he, uh, I think he attempted to quit and they they kind of couldn't let him because of his contract, and he, I, I think from then from that point on, having already done some of the animation from that point on, um, O'Brien was doing what we would call phoning it in a little bit, and then sort of started just not showing up, and um, uh, a guy named Buzz Gibson uh, ended up coming in and finishing the stop motion animation. Now keep in mind that Will O'Brien didn't build any of the creatures; Will O'Brien animated the creatures. And filmed filmed yeah. the animation. Um, the Marcel Degado and and um, I'd mentioned the other two guys, uh, uh, Henry Redmond Sr. and Henry Redmond Jr. were both uh, are both credited as having uh, helped build, but not only the dinosaurs but also the the miniature worlds that they they inhabit. Um, and I'm sure there's quite there's quite a few other guys and and people that that are not credited that I'm not mentioning as well. You know, it's it's. As usual in the 30s and 40s, it's, it's a team effort that only the one or two people on top usually would get actual screen credit. Um, in any case, uh, yeah, a guy named Buzz Gibson came in and finished most of the animation. Uh, uh, and and possibly without 
O'Brien's oversight is where we get some some of the some of the lesser uh, elements of this thing, including like this thing and maybe the the monster in the in the water when when Hellstrom's trying to escape. Who knows? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, at least less, you know, historically accurate animals. Um, uh, moving back to the story, um, uh, there's a there there is a sudden tremor that happens, and uh, it, it convinces everybody that they're going to have to get off the island um uh to which you know hellstrom runs ahead to the boat or no no it's because he sees right never mind i'm ahead of myself it's because he sees kong finally and and yes as predicted he, he freaks, freaks out, out and he runs to, yeah. <laughs> to the boat like to run and and denim's like he's gonna take the boat and leave us here so so um Engelhorn and, and charlie go chase him um this is where hellstrom uh he gets down in the cave gets to the boat turns around and, and sees uh, this sea monster type, plesiosaur type, what have you, um, uh, waiting for him, falls off the boat, and, and, and it, it goes and, and it, uh, it, it, it crushes Hellstrom. It, it bites him and uh, takes him underwater and, you know, and you're like, oh, well. It's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a pretty good, it's a, you know, we, we've mentioned this in the past on the mm-hmm. podcast about how sometimes these these uh, villains don't. We don't get to see the all of the their right. comeuppance like they should. But this one, he gets it pretty good because he he's clearly uh, just frightened out of his wits. And he, yeah, he, you know, you see him fall in the water, and then the monster actually picks him picks him up in yeah. his mouth, and you see him just kind of like it, it's a little bit like when the the T Rex eats the lawyer off the the toilet in yeah. the first movie. Yeah, he yeah, just kind of yeah. just thrashes him. You know, that's that's what happens to uh, Hellstorm here. Hellstorm actually is a bad person. Like you know, I guess one of the things in Kong is that like anybody Kong attacks, there's no real again as I said, there's no real villain in Kong. Denim's obviously responsible for a lot of the carnage and damage that happens. Um, but 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 Denim in the first movie is not evil or anything you don't hate him uh so the right. people kong kills and the people some of the dinosaurs kill you know the the brontosaurus and the um uh, and what have you um they're just like dudes on the ship like that's just unfortunate um here we get someone we're like oh yeah go get him <laughs> it's it's satisfying like yeah he had that coming uh, that sea monster thing biting him and going underwater with him and stuff so there you go it's satisfying. Yeah, you're right. Exactly. Exactly. Like, like you're, you're, or even, um, I did even the more recent, like the Jurassic world movies or something like that, where you actually have like actual villainous characters now. Um, and the dinosaurs, like when, when they're finally coming after him, you're like, Oh yeah. It's like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're just waiting for it. Yeah. Like in the most recent one, the low rent Steve jobs type character guy, like, you know, who, who, yeah. who, who gets the Demetrodons get him and stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, we have, a. We have some great stuff now of um, and something has hit the island, this hurricane or something, and this island yeah, is the, absolutely the, crumbling. And the miniature work is so much fun; it's so good looking. It is, and that's so. That's why I was a bit confused again. First time watching this, I I thought it was uh, you know just an earthquake. I'm like, it seems to be a lot of wind and rain yeah. for you know <laughs> an earthquake. But that being said, I mean, you talk about. I think this whole end sequence is for as much action and as much mm-hmm. effects and everything that goes on. I think this 
sequence alone makes up for the lack of monsters and yes. and fights and stuff throughout the first two thirds of this movie because this is just awesome. I mean, you right. you see, it's not just like some blanket, you know, faraway miniature. I mean, you see. Mm-hmm. All these sets crumbling that you just saw. You see things sinking into the water. The the natives running. Right, right, just, right. They're they're like, so God damn it! It's denim again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> knew it as soon as he set foot in the island. Right. I mean, disaster just follows that guy. Um, yeah, uh, I agree. And um, I, I mean, I, I've always just assumed that that removing the diamond from the statue causes this in some way, in some mystical way or something like that. The diamond was uh, otherwise like an Aladdin. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise it's pretty, (laughs) um, it's pretty coincidental that, that this happens right as, as, as they're there. So I assume that the diamond somehow protected the Island from the, the elements or something. And once it's removed, yeah, this has, um, but no, I think you're right. I think this is the payoff of like, okay, we know like the first half of the movie was, was pretty much people talking. So, Here's your, your, like you say, here's your reward for sitting through that, like all the drama and character stuff. We're going to pay it off by, we're just going to have nonstop craziness the last 20 minutes of the movie. And they do. And it, it's just, just, you know, it's awesome. Um, some of these, these minute, this miniature work is great because this, um, I think they were able to do this also because these, these stones falling and all the crumbling and, and, and everything is, um, it's not done as stop motion. It's done as miniatures, much like, like Godzilla 55, yeah. you know, um, so, it, it while it takes time, it doesn't take the time that say animating Baby Kong takes. Um, it's not like you know you get like one second of footage a day uh, worth of animation. This 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 like you set it up and like you get uh, a bang bang for your buck. And like yeah, these you know the 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 trees blowing look great. The because because you know uh, Kong doesn't, or I mean, Godzilla doesn't, Gojira, I should say, doesn't come around for another 20 years. And frankly, yes. you could put some of these shots back to back and be like, okay, you know, fair is fair. I mean, you know, and, and they spent a lot of money on Gojira. Go, Gojira and uh, Seven Samurai almost single-handedly in one year bankrupted Toho Studios uh, in, in 54, 55. And then their success, their twin success is what actually created Toho as, you know, the, the juggernaut it became. Um uh, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to do Gojira on this on the podcast here at some point, obviously. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, we're gonna get to that. It's black and white; it counts. Um, <laughs> um, everything's collapsing. Uh, the whole island, yeah, and you know, like you're seeing whole the huts and the whole land heaves up and goes underwater, and you see the island is just sinking, which is just you know brilliant looking and stuff. It's just done beautifully. I love. I you know it's one of those things I would have loved to have just been on this set and just let and been able to see them filming these miniature sets you know going down and stuff because water is the hardest thing to sell as a miniature it's why you have to shoot it really you know slow, high speed slash slow motion but you know they always say like water doesn't miniaturize so you get these splashes and it's hard to sell that as something with of a different scale and not just you know like a toy with a in a bathtub um yeah you have to get pretty pretty creative to mm-hmm. try to you to even attempt it. Like, um, I remember, uh, watching a behind the scenes thing on Ghostbusters, the first Ghostbusters movie. And there's a scene where mm. the, you know, this, the huge marshmallow man yeah. steps on, on a fire hydrant and you just see the water like, like mm-hmm. come up. And, and they're saying, you know, it's like, there's no way to miniaturize that. So they, I think they said they use like salt or salt. something. Yeah. Yeah. Because and, that actually yeah, on camera just, just sold. Yeah. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. Um, uh, now you would probably do 
some miniature, I mean, if you want to do miniature, you do some miniature work and then you do digital water because now that we've reached that point where we can, we can do that incredibly well. But this is, you know, the, the other, not to get too technical, the other, uh, con, con, uh, uh, factor you have to figure in is that when you shoot high speed, like if you're going 120 frame, cause normal cameras film at 24 frames a second. If you're going at 120 frames a second, um, you have to use a lot more light to maintain the focus and stuff. So it's, it's it, technically, it's like a so complicated thing. So this is just, for 1933, this is just a hell of an achievement. This is just beautiful looking. For yes, like, it is. For like a sequel to a movie, you know, that was done, again, we, like we say, done really quick. Um, it's great. Um, and the human drama stays prevalent throughout the whole thing where the, the temple now is flooding. Den- Denim has stayed behind with, with baby Kong. Um, and... Kong Jr., I should say. Uh, and and he's attempting to climb out, uh, you know, to get away from the rising water and maybe to somehow get out through the top of the thing because the uh, the front of the cave uh, collapsed and, and blocked him in. Um, uh, <laughs> and then Kong is helping him climb and, you know, getting getting him, helping him get out. Um, everyone else has reached the rowboat that Hellstrom tried to escape with and didn't. And then they're rowing out. And as you know, the seas are tossing everything that you see the sea monster, the date Hellstrom kind of like rear up going like, what's happening? <laughs> like, like the sea monsters, like I was underwater and I came up and everything's different. It's so strange. <laughs> My cave's gone. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, some great combination shots of, of, um, Robert Armstrong and the the Kong miniature uh, together again. Like I said, like you know, it's almost like the R and D. They'd really figure out how how to do this really well. When to use a little tiny miniature person in in conjunction with the the miniature ape, and when to do a like a process screen thing where the real person's in the foreground and the ape. Um, there's some of these shots you like. I, I have it paused just as they get out of the cave, Denim and, and Kong Junior. and He's in front and he's climbing up. And I, I swear to God, in this still image from 1933, I'm looking at this like, I'm not sure where the where the match is. Like, it's it's perfect. It's so good looking. Um, Denim is, you know, perfectly cropped out right in front of him. It's just, it's just great. Um, we're getting, it is, and it? it's yeah. a little, it's a little bit of, um, I guess I'm a little lost on, on the word I'm, I'm yeah. thinking of here, but it it's, uh, it's such good, I guess, contrast, if you will. Yeah. Because in the first movie, it was, you know, Fay Ray, the damsel in distress and, mm-hmm. you know, grasped in the hands of Kong. And here you have Carl Denham, who now has that, gets that same treatment of being, you know, stuck in the hands of, right. of Junior Kong. Who's, who, who in, in this turnabout is now going to save him. And, and yes. as we see pretty soon, you know, more or less sacrifice himself. Um, uh, they get to the, like, I mean, there's really just this little bump of rock now on top of, of, um, uh, the island. Um, they're also, they're also contract, they're also superimposing rain in front of the stop action stuff. It's just yeah. incredible looking. Um, they got really good at this. Uh, and what happens is it's hard for me to talk. This is really sad. Um, it, um as the island's collapsing, it pins, uh, baby Kong's foot, uh, which, Honestly, I'd watched this movie a bunch of times on VHS and had not realized that's what happens. I'd always thought somehow Baby Kong just full-on sacrifices himself to save Denim and lets himself die. But it, it is, I guess, the the idea is that Kong Jr.'s ankle is trapped in the rock, 
because it, it happens and he screams. Um, and, and, uh, so, so there's no saving baby Kong. Um, no. but, but he's going to try to save his, his new friend, uh, as much as he can and stuff. Um, Armstrong's going for it here. He's just, you know, holding on for dear life and screaming and thrashing and stuff. I mean, you know, the, as fun as this movie is, there are a couple of these moments like this. You're like, dude, that's, that's hardcore. It's like, kind of, there's a, there's like a Steinbeck scene happening here with a guy in a gorilla. It's almost like yeah. very, it's very like all it, about the existentialism. Um, uh, it is. And it, it's, it's sad because you yeah. see him kind of like you said, you know, he's like legitimately like struggling. It's not like a, you know, there's there's not like just some longing look where right. he's he's accepted his fate and he's he's right. like you know be well my friend it's you know no he I mean like Kong that. doesn't want to die he just he no <laughs> he's stuck um and again like the model is wet like you can see these close ups these beautiful close ups of of Kong Junior like struggling to get out of the thing and his 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 face is glistening from the water and stuff and he's just out um and the other sad part of it is like you know King Kong was a grown up and had lived a life and had fought all these dinosaurs and was kind of like almost like a old prize fighter kind of character. This is not, this is a young animal that has a long potentially life ahead of it that, you know, doesn't get to live that. And that's, that's an added bit of kind of, you know, tragedy to the story. Um, uh, you know, during the film Kong has, or uh, Denim has a few times apologized to Kong Jr. for what happened to his father. And what he specifically did to his father, like, you know, taking responsibility for that. Um, and it's such an interesting way that the story takes it where where now the son of the animal that he's responsible for, for killing actually is the, the 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 element of his rescue. It's it's just uh yes. it's it's really wild. Um the boat they they get together with the, the boat and finally get to him and uh and they get um Denim back and and Baby Kong's hand with the bandage still wrapped around his finger that that Hilda gave him. Yeah, uh, I know. Goes down. It's so sad. It's just like, oh man. Um, I bet the actors really did not enjoy this day or two of work where they're getting like shot with fire hoses and stuff. It's it's. I know it's, they were pretty, soaked. Yeah, yeah, they really are wet. It's it's really looks intense. Um, they they sell it. Um, and uh, with with that uh, Kong Island and the last of, of the Kongs, at least uh, that lineage goes under the Pacific ocean, never to be seen again. There we go. Um, until uh, Dino De Laurentiis decides to make a movie in the 1970s. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, um, which is also a fun movie, by the way. I, I, I also still, I, I've gone back and, and revisited the Jeff Bridges, Charles Grodin, Jessica Lange, uh, 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 Kong with Rick Baker as the uh, in a suit rather than any kind of stop motion or animation, and you know, it's got some things going for it. Um, it might be my least favorite iteration of the of Kong. Um, I I don't like how uh, pervy Kong is. Really, <laughs> yeah. it's a little like it gets a little seventies, like. Uh, but yeah. but it's you know. <laughs> It's a product of its time. <laughs> yeah, but them discovering Kong Island while searching for oil during the oil embargoes of the 1970s, which you know I'm old enough to sort of barely remember, uh, it was a great plot device. I thought it was really fascinating. And then Jeff Bridges being this kind of like environmental, you know, not eco terrorist, but almost this like you know 
uh, whatever. Like, I don't know. And anyway, um, but it doesn't hold a match to, to the, the OG, the OK, the original Kong. Um, the original Kong. Yeah. Uh, Denim, Hilda, Charlie, and, uh, and, and, and Horner are trapped on the boat now at sea and they're out of water and everything. And, and, you know, Denim is, uh, there's this, and I wanted to talk about this whole idea of like, you know, Denim has spent most of his life searching for acclaim, um, wealth, success, you know, and the movie gets a little introspective here at the end about like, you know, what, what does any of that all mean? And not just like, you know, money doesn't just automatically make you happy. Nothing, nothing as simple as that. It's, you know, here at the end of the movie, like he finds a partner and, you know, hopefully for life that, that he respects and that adores him. And, and it's a, it's a relationship of mutuals. Um, you know, and, and he's at this point, Denim has basically survived death twice first on both times on skull island um and i you know obviously he's he's a changed guy at this point um oh yes and 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 he's finally achieved kind of what he wanted he's got this diamond that is probably going to be worth a million dollars even then or something you know um there's no worry about there's no concern about money or security or anything that he's all those things are taken care of and then but here right at the end he finds that that um is is wealth really does money is wealth is wealth and money and success the same thing or is wealth made up of something more than than money you know not to get cheesy on this but you know um because it's the first time where he you know they're talking about divvying up the shares of the of the the diamond uh four ways and and hilda's like well what if what if we only did it three ways and um he realizes that, uh, uh, you know, it, he, the, he finally, the, the final <laughs> chink of his resistance kind of falls through. Yeah. And, and he can contemplate the idea that, that they could be where, and the best part is, um, Helen Mack plays the whole scene, not even looking at him when she's the whole time they're looking out over the railing on the, on the, they get rescued by a ship and they're looking out over the railing and everything. And, um, and when she's saying, you know, what what if we just split it three ways and all the things, and she doesn't, they play it with like her not even like she's not staring into his eyes all moony or anything like that. She's just making him a proposition, right? <laughs> which is, which uh, which finally does get through to him and stuff. It's such a such a it's a neat way to do the scene. It's really subtle, um, and and tastefully done for a movie about a giant monkey. Um, I think, um, <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, they end together. They don't even kiss or anything like that. They just sort of like you know, it's almost like they're they're. Uh, they they agreed to this new partnership and stuff. Um, my other favorite thing about this is that Charlie the Cook is going to be a millionaire at the end of this movie. So yes, he I, is. I feel like that would be a great sequel too. Is just tra- Charlie having like all this money. <laughs> what does he do with it? Does he buy his own boat and become a captain? Does he start a restaurant? He probably goes, yeah, you know, goes back to the uh, that one island and tries to see the monkey shows again. Maybe, you know, yeah, maybe, maybe <laughs> he really maybe starts his own monkey shows. That'd be great. Yeah, I'd maybe. Where does Charlie go after this? Uh, I'd love to know. Um, and that's the end. Um, the other thing the movie really benefits, obviously, from is is Max Steiner. I don't know if it's a completely original score or if it's a little bit. I mean, there's a lot, I think, from King Kong that they reuse. Um, but I think there's at least some original stuff. And I don't know um, as much about. Do, do you 
have any idea, Livio? Because I don't know much about the scoring process at RKO versus, you know, as, as I do. No, I, console. Yeah, I tried to, I tried to be on the listen um, to see if I could recognize any of the Kong themes. I really didn't. It's very similar in style for sure. And, you know, obviously yeah. there's a short turnaround between the first one and this one. Um, but it, nothing, nothing particularly stuck out to me score wise. I mean, it's, don't get me wrong. It's, it's a great score. Right. You know, Max Steiner's one of the greatest film composers of all time. Yes. But, um, you know, the, his score for King Kong is truly iconic. Of course, and it's yes. So many great themes that, and just plays and builds wonderfully to the end of the movie. And, and th- this one is, it's good. It's just not, yeah, not to yeah. that level. Yeah. You know? it, it, I mean, definitely gets the job done, obviously. And it's, and it, it does elevate, I mean, his talent alone just elevates this movie above a level of like what it could uh, otherwise possibly have been. Um, but you're right. It doesn't. I mean, it's not one of his iconic scores like Key Largo or King Kong or or what have you. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, it gets the job done and it has fun. And again, like I love, you know, Kong Junior has his own score, um, his own theme rather. And and you know, yes. I don't know. Um, I'm okay. Well, I'm I'm really glad that I if everybody has not been able to hear the enthusiasm in my voice. Like again, like I said at the beginning of the movie, I, I <laughs> the episode. I love this movie. I just adore this movie. I adore the heck out of it. Um. Um, at some point it might be fun to do Mighty Joe Young, uh, again with, with Robert Armstrong as a totally different character and it. The guy couldn't stop being in movies with giant monkeys. Um, <laughs> that's a much more, uh, that's a very different animal as a prod, as a film itself. And, and it might, it might be a little outside our purview, but it might, we might get to it. You never know. Um, uh, the, uh, uh, the only other and and the only the big monster thing yeah i think we're gonna have to do gojira at some point um and really get into that because i think that'll be really fun um you know we've we've covered a lot of the more gothic horror movies and i think you know we still have some great ones left coming up guys don't don't worry about that but um there we might be merging into a little bit of science fiction some movies coming up pretty soon while still staying inside our our, our, our perimeters and stuff. I, but I think it'd be fun to tackle some, some stuff like that, especially something as iconic as, as Gojira and, and which should be our, our first actual, uh, well, our second foreign language, uh, film after Spanish Dracula, our most recent episode, yes. obviously. Um, there we go. So, um, anyway, I was saying I'm, I was so excited to, to cover this movie, but I'm so excited to Livio did like, now you've seen it too, and you've you've got to experience this kind of thing too, and you have the, uh, you know, your own new appreciation for the thing. Because because if, if 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 there's anything really great about doing this podcast, it's like you know finding the people that 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 haven't seen the thing, and then they hear us do an episode, and they watch the movie, and then they they listen to the episode talking about the movie and stuff. That's just that's a huge accomplishment to me. I, I feel like just turning people on to these things, these films that that uh, we love so much. Yeah, absolutely. It, it was, it was a great, and my son is, was so excited. He's seven, a little over seven, oh. and he loves the, the original King Kong. And so when I, when I got this and I watched it, I was like, Hey, you know, there's a, have another uh, King Kong movie and it's kind of the same. He was, oh, we like, watched it like twice the next day. Oh, it's like, <laughs> was, it's like the perfect so age to, to watch, watch this movie though, right? Like seven is. is a great, yeah. You just, cause you're not, you're not concerned about any of the little details and, you know, artifacts or things like that you're just you're just you can right. enjoy that story like wholeheartedly and i think i think if more of us could just watch movies the way we did when we were seven or eight i think it'd be a happier world <laughs> twitter yes. twitter would be much better that's for sure 
<laughs> oh, um, all right. Hey, everybody. Um, thank you so much for uh, listening along to this episode. Again, uh, this is our 76th episode. We have 75 other episodes in the bank. They uh, are available to listen to on whatever uh, podcast platform you enjoy them. Uh, I'm Jim Towns. I'm with Livio Marino. This is the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. We're going to be signing off for the night. Stay tuned for our next episode coming in two weeks, okay? All right. Take care, everybody. All right. Good night, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode. But the fun does not stop here. You can follow and interact with the show's hosts and listeners online on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The Borgo Pass Horror Podcast is a presentation of Shadow Camera Film and Entertainment. This episode was edited by Livio Marino. The music was composed by Sean Poole. Opening and closing narration are by me, Kat Ahrens. Show titles and graphics created by Jim Towns. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. Podcast.